sacrifice a word that may mean generally to give up something of value for the sake of other considerations let me ask you would you give up your very life for the sake of the ones you love i mean you would stop breathing okay pause think about it properly before you answer i know many people would jump and say i'll sacrifice myself but would you okay maybe that one may be easy for some people to answer how about if you were asked to sacrifice your life for a great cause maybe like world peace i mean it does affect all of us would you be willing to lay your life for this ruthless world to know peace hello i'm zaliha welcome to net gang ng a weekly podcast that explores stories in books culture arts and from the perspectives of various creatives Welcome to the wonderful world of exploring stories of mythology, legends, history and wonderful imagination. That is the voice of Maimonat Ike singing her song titled Oral Mado Ojuju from her studio album Inikbi Omaofedo Baba. If you are familiar with the language of the song being sang, you know it's from the Igala tribe. It's the Igala language from the Igala tribe of Kogi State, Nigeria in Western Africa. Her album title is inspired by the history of the princess of the Igala people who buried herself alive to ensure her people were safe. Historical legend has it that a war ensued between the people of Igala land and Benin. It was such a brutal war that it became unsafe for the Igala people. The king was worried and sought the advice of their oracle. But what the oracle wanted was not something the king was willing to give. The oracle said that for Igala land to be free from wars, the king had to sacrifice his most beloved daughter, Inikbi, to the gods by burying her alive. Inikpi was the king's favorite daughter. She was, in fact, the favorite of the Igala people. 
For this, they named her Inikpi Omafedo Baba, meaning Inikpi, the beloved of her father. The king was torn between the sorrow of having to give up his child and the looming starvation and end of his people. Inikpi asked her father why he looked so gloom all day. She asked him about it for days, but he did not talk to her until the eighth day. After telling her what the oracle demanded, Inipi agreed to the sacrifice because of the deep love she had for her father and her people. So she set off voluntarily to the bank of River Ninja at Ida, where she was buried alongside nine slaves who would help her in the journey to the afterlife. It was said that when the enemies approached Igala town, all they saw was a town in flames, making them believe the town was already under attack. For this reason, the Igala people are grateful to the princess and reminisce on her bravery and sacrifice. Many girls born of Igala tribe are named after her, and a statue of, us, of her stands at Ega in Ida. She is honored till this day, even in books, plays, and movies. The story of Princess Inipi's sacrifice seems to be the only thing that is similar to that of the protagonist Onye Song of our read for the week, Who Fears Death by Nedi Okorafo. Other than that, the book runs really deep. The book tells a tale set in post-apocalyptic Sudan of a young girl named Onye Song. It's Ibo for Who Fears Death and our journey through prejudice, fear, a world of oppression, and violence. It was inspired in part by Emily Waxon's 2004 Washington Post article titled, We Want to Make a Light Baby, which discusses the use of weaponized rape by Arab militia men against black African women in the Darfur conflict. If you didn't know about the Darfur conflict, Here's a small part. The Darfur conflict is a major armed conflict in the Darfur area of southern of Sudan, Africa, which began in February 2003, whereby rebel groups began fighting against the government of Sudan, accusing them of oppressing non-Arab people of Darfur. The government responded by carrying out an ethnic cleansing against Darfur's non-Arabs. It led to many deaths and displacements of people, and also the indictment of Sudan's president, Omar al-Bashir, for genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity. Many of these cleansing involved the raping of the non-Arab Darfur women, lasting for whole nights, and using words in Arabic about making light babies and expunging the area of black Africans. This forms the backstory of Onye Song, whose mother was a victim of weaponized rape 
as a means to erase her people who were the Okeke by the Nuru, the light-skinned African in this book. The themes and imagery of this book revolves around the effects of weaponized rape, oppression of women, and prejudice. On the theme of prejudice, for example, the Okeke's prejudiced women who were victims of these rapes and their children. They didn't give any kind of support and they almost did not want them to be members of their society, as though they were the cause of what happened to them. Anyone found associating with them was instantly rejected. The irony of such a society that should protect these women and who accused the Nuru, that is the light-skinned Africans I was talking about in the book, of prejudice and tribalism, but just the same even amongst their own people. Listen to a part of this book. It was odd. Mostly people shunned me because I was Iwu. Iwu is a word used in the book to describe children born out of this rape. But sometimes women crowded around me. They said things like, but her skin, they will say to each other, never directly to me. It's so smooth and delicate. It looks almost like camel's milk. And her hair is oddly bushy, like a cloud of dried grass. Her eyes are like a desert cat's. And it makes strained beauty from ugliness. They considered her being Iwu a type of ugliness, even though it was neither hers or her mother's fault. Does society make us cruel because of what it tries to hide? Another reoccurring theme in the book is that of the oppression of women. As though women's only purpose on earth was to serve men and do men's biddings. Intertwined with this in this book is the ritual of female genital mutilation, which all 11-year-old girls had to take pattern with the use of a cursed scalpel so as to make sex non-enjoyable for women. This was a way that the society kept women from the ple- for the pleasures of men. Because with female genital mutilation, the men enjoyed the sex, but the women didn't, as though only women could should keep themselves and not men. We as a society constantly continue to push women and push and push, continually living in a world filled with patriarchy, where women are accused for the ills that have been caused by men. You shouldn't also blame the women who, I don't really blame them, not that we shouldn't blame them, who are seen behind these ills, who support the men who do this. Because society has brainwashed them into thinking that these other men, these other women are not worthy or that this, like those other women are women who should be ashamed of themselves and shouldn't be called women, as though their strength comes from them alone. Another underlying imagery was the issue of rape. One that was quite disturbing was one of a daughter by her father. This was the life of one of the characters of the book called Binta. 
her father raped her even before she took the 11 to write. That means she was less than 11 when he started to rape her. It made her voiceless and it made her feel little. A part of the book said the people referred to her as the girl so beautiful her father couldn't resist her. Again, laying the blame on the victim rather than the father. The community was unable to make justice on the father and the women of the village said that female genital mutilation was stopping from doing so. <laughs> Very laughable if you ask me. And I was right because as we further read into the book, the father continued to rape her. I recommend this book, although it's a little longer than our previous read. It carries with it lots of insights and thoughts on the effects of violence and rape on women and girls. My favorite quotes from the book are, So you see, girls need to be protected from their own stupidity and not suffer the stupidity of boys. The juju forces her to put her foot down when she must. But sometimes, a girl is still forced, I thought, thinking of Benta. Where society thinks it's the women that need to be warned as though they are the cause of everything. What about those who are forced like Binta? The idea of female genital mutilation in the book is to preserve the women from the, from the ills that men did. But in a way that made it seem like the girls were the cause. But this didn't stop anything. Okay, now what about girls like Binta? who are forced in the book by their own fathers who are meant to be their protectors. Society finds a way to accuse the girl like what was what was she wearing? You hear things you hear things like when 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 anyone talks about the rape or attempted rape you'll be like what were you doing there? What were you wearing? Must you go there? Why didn't you shout? As though it were that easy. Even though they turned their eyes away from the horrendous act of the man, rape is a very serious issue. And many times than not, both women and men in our society constantly and continue to hold the victims at fault. It's really such a very twisted thing. I don't really like I can't I can't seem to understand why but I would lie if I say I don't understand why many people still believe that the victims are at fault. Society has conditioned them in such a way that what they see to be true has to be true. Otherwise they don't know new they, they don't know what to, to hold as truth. They live in that bubble. Generations and generations of our mothers have con- con- had continued to hide and keep secrets of fathers raping their daughters or of their ch- of their girl child's rape because of what society would say. They never thought of the effect it has on the girl herself. We constantly, as a people, have to continue to raise our voices and talk about things that affect women folk. Cases of injustice, especially in the areas of rape. Many women continue to talk today, but it is so alarming how these things can turn a very 
wicked way when the stories are being told movies are shown about it but still even when <laughs> this is really funny even when someone shows them that okay this is what happened or somebody says i was there it happened like this they still find a way to make sure that it's the victims that are to blame another of the parts of the book that i liked was my parents were fishermen he turned to me and smiled shall i call my mother a fisherwoman does that suit you this was because arrow knew that when your song rejected gender prejudices and the idea that because one was one gender could not be found doing some things arrow grew to understand but only someone had to keep hammering it for him to get it the book harbors many themes of oppression friendship magic and revenge i leave you with this the world is filled with many wrongs but we must all try our best to make it better we must look within ourselves and continue to learn about new things and new ways we must read more books and try to embrace empathy it will help in the way in which we you and i looked at stuff cuz one way isn't the only way thank you for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it if you did subscribe on anywhere you get your podcast from share with your friends your family your colleagues your book club share everywhere <laughs> like won't you rather join the gang till later ichegbatuba <laughs> i hope i got that right that's goodbye in igala language <laughs>